Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 232 and this episode is with the Head of Sports Science and SNC at FC Utrecht, Rainer van Haal Appelhoff. This comes a few weeks after recording the episode with Baz at the club as well. That was episode 225, so we're getting a really nice insight into a number of different clubs now from different practitioners. Obviously, with the recent episodes or the last episode um, or the episode before the last one even with with Jared Wallace, um, followed recent episodes with the other guys at Malmo as well. So we're getting a really nice insight into different perspectives on club programs, which is great to see. So I hope you enjoy the episode with Rainer. We talked about building a performance culture, um, extending on some of the stuff we spoke with Baz, and like I said, on episode 225, we spoke about bridging the gap between football and performance. And then maximum intensity periods in Dutch football, something that I know Rainer has looked into and is, is doing research on to inform the approach that they take as well. So loads of great stuff in this episode with Rainer. As this episode goes out, we are actually just over a week away from our next networking event, which is over in Ireland in Dublin at the National Games Development Centre. That's on Thursday the 6th of April, 6 till 9pm. We've got two brilliant presenters. We've got Des Ryan, Director of Coaching and Performance at Satanta College, along with Shane Murphy, who's the Men's National Team Sports Scientist at the Scottish FA. They're both going to be presenting for us. Tickets are still available, so if you're interested in joining us at that event, go to footballfitfed.com and click the shop tab and you'll be able to find tickets in the networking events section on the website. There has been a few people asking as well about getting access to the presentations that can't make it over to Ireland and to Dublin. All presentations, remember, are uploaded onto our online community. So if you're not already a member, go and check out the community and you'll be able to get access to those presentations as soon as they've been uploaded. I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone that's fed back on the episode with Tony Strudwick. That was episode 229. Um, There's been some amazing comments, amazing shares on social media, people doing full LinkedIn posts about some of the takeaways that they took from that episode. So I really appreciate everyone's support on it. Um, We've seen an, an increase in the reviews left on the podcast as well. We're now up to 88 reviews over on iTunes, something that we're trying to boost to try and get more guests just like Tony onto the podcast and bring you some really valuable content. So if you've not already left us a review, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a a short review. Click the five stars and a short comment. Really would appreciate it. If you're listening on Spotify, even easier, just simply click the five stars and every little help. So I really appreciate everyone that's left a review recently. This podcast would not be able to run the way it does with the weekly episodes without our sponsors. So I want to welcome a brand new sponsor onto the podcast. That is The Good Prep. Somebody that we've had a relationship with for a long time now with our networking events. And anyone that's been to our events, I'm sure I've tasted the amazing food that they supply. But if you are looking for food prep services, whether that's yourself as as a practitioner or you're looking for your players on away days, just to make things a little bit more simple, take away the thinking. These guys are the very best around. The food is absolutely exceptional. 
great tasting food, such great variety. They've got vegan options, vegetarian options, loads of great meals. All the information in terms of the nutritional values of all meals are supplied as well. So make sure you go and check them out. The good prep over on socials, um, they, they are the very best around and I really do recommend them. A massive thank you as well to Hytro. Have you ever tried blood flow restriction training? For pro sports teams and athletes, Hytro is the only performance BFR brand to create pressure validated BFR wearables that are practical, safe and scalable allowing you to enhance recovery and maximise athletic potential like never before. Whether in the change room post-game, during away game travel, in the hotel or at home, Hytro has created a simple and effective tool that allows BFR to be delivered to athletes and squads simultaneously and safely. Check them out at hytro.com or you can email teamsales at hytro.com to find out how Hytro BFR can give your squad a competitive edge. Also, a huge thank you to Rezzle doing some incredible work in the world of VR and AI. Make sure you check them out at Rezzle over on socials. And let's get into episode 232 with Rainer Van Hal Appelhoff. Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Rezzle, Rezzle. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. Harder, stronger, smarter. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 232. I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast today by Head of Sports Science and Strength Conditioning at FC Utrecht. Reina, Reina, how are you? I'm good, Ben. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's an honour to be on the show. No, it's going to be brilliant to speak to you, mate. Obviously, this comes a few episodes after, after Baz came on the podcast as well. So I know yep. you're going to expand on some of the things that he spoke about. He covered the 1%, you're going to cover the 99 Is that right? Yeah, at least I'm going to try. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. No, thank you for coming on and freeing up time. I, I really appreciate it. We always start these podcasts in the same place because I think there's a lot of lessons around how you as a practitioner ended up in the role that you're in right now. So can you take us on a little bit of a journey? Take us back. What led to your role at your FCU track? Yeah, sure thing. Um, well, I started off studying to become a, a PE teacher. And during that time, I was already thinking about, okay, how do I want to keep uh, making progress for myself? But at first, I, I finished, uh, finished that study. So it gave me a wide range of uh, skills on how to stand in front of a group of people, uh, but also didactically, uh, well, how to progress during classes and stuff and, 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 and learn people new skills from a physical point of view. Um, but as I mentioned, I, I knew that I wanted to keep going on afterwards. So um, I moved abroad to Belgium um, because I'm from Holland, obviously. And I went there to do my bachelor's for, uh, it's not sports science, but it's more human movement sciences. And the reason I chose to do so was that I felt like it was a really good uh, balance between uh, the practical stuff and the theoretical stuff. So during that bachelor's, I was also able to obtain my uh, UEFA B coaching license. And then I was in a little bit of a 
a struggle with myself because obviously uh, I saw myself working in Holland to begin with. Uh, so I thought of maybe moving back to do my master's in Holland, but actually the, the professors over there persuaded me to stay. Uh, well, I could still make progress and eventually uh, get my UEFA A elite youth license. So I was enrolled with uh, Oudhevele Leuven. It's the, the club from uh, the city I was living um, and there I started in the on the 15s, on the 16s in the first year. I moved up until the under 19s and the under 23s as a coach. So I was able to um, yeah, develop my skills there. I also do some stuff in the performance analysis, make make videos. So in the end, I did my master's in, in human movement sciences in Leuven. Um, and at the end, I was able to uh, do a full-time internship at a Dutch Eredivisie site. Ado Den Haag. At the moment, they were competing in the in the Premier League, the Dutch Premier League. And I felt that as a really uh, fantastic opportunity that as a student being able to be enrolled in a first team environment. So I was like a sponge. I, I just took everything in um, and I was everywhere where I could be from, from gym to pitch uh, in the office, uh, hear coaches talk. The conversations they had uh, was a fantastic, fantastic period to be in. Then after finishing uh, my studies, I was, yeah, as everyone, just emailing and trying to get a foot in the door uh, with every club I could just think of. Uh, unfortunately, I, I uh, finished my studies in June and then most of the spots were already taken. So what I did then, because I didn't want to have a gap in my uh, resume, that I just went to my own amateur club. And as a volunteer, I just uh, joined their staff because I, in the end, I just wanted to know how players reacted to me as a coach. And I wanted to, um, yeah, test the drills I had in mind and I had seen. So it was just a fantastic opportunity to do so. And then in the meantime, I just kept on trying to get uh, a full-time position at, at, a, at a club in Holland and then out of nowhere, I think that's maybe the first lesson that uh, things just doesn't go always as planned. And I had a black swan moment that I just got called by FC Utrecht if I wanted to join their first team as a as an C coach and sports scientist. Although I had applied for a job at, at Academy, but which there wasn't any spot left for me. So, uh, yeah, obviously I I took uh, I took the interview and. Um, well, my second interview was with current United manager, Eric Ten Hag. So it was kind of, I had to go to an executive boardroom in the stadium. I was kind of overwhelmed by everything. Um, but yeah, obviously I, I took the role. I I, I took the, the jump into the deep and first year I need to keep my head above the waters. But now, yeah, almost six years into the into the role at the club, I had various roles, but up until now, uh, it's been a good journey. I think there's a lot of lessons in that journey itself that you've just discussed. I want to take you back to when you were going through your qualifications. Did you have in mind that you wanted to work in sports science, strength conditioning? Because you mentioned about analysis and I know you've mentioned your technical qualifications there as well. Did you know what you wanted to end up in, in what role you wanted to end up in at that time? Or was it a case of, like you mentioned, just being a sponge and picking up as much as you can? No, yeah, it started as, as a young kid. Wanted, wanted to become a professional footballer, but I knew right along that that wasn't <laughs> about to happen. So, uh, yeah, and I always had, had uh, a thing for human movement and sports in general. So, yeah, it was the performance side, uh, like like the sports science and SNC kind of stuff that I wanted to do. 
but uh well yeah just have the opportunity to yeah become a well-rounded generalist uh was was really important for me and i just like the game of football um so yeah i was really uh it was really good to also have that that coaching degree but yeah it's it's really the physical stuff that attracts me most and when you went back to that i say back to when you went to work with that amateur team what were some of the biggest lessons that you took away from that you said about you wanted to know how the players would react to you and i love that because it's it gives you that platform doesn't it that opportunity to test things out in an environment that maybe doesn't have as much press around it and as much pressure. But what were the biggest takeaways when you came out of that role and then ended up in at the club that you're at now? Yeah, I think a program could could only look as good on paper as it is in, in practice. So I had like IDs written all over the place. Um, and just sometime on the spot, you need to react and adapt Um can be according to different factors that uh, it was an amateur club. So, well, sometimes also those players, they suffer injuries. So we had less or uh, someone didn't feel quite good. They they have private lives as well. They have a, a full-time job. So I just needed to yeah, be really flexible and ready to adapt. And that, I think that really helped me that year really helped me to yeah, feel much more uh, confident that when the opportunity came, which I didn't see coming to join uh, a first team uh, at, at Eredivisie level, I up until the day of today, I still do some of the drills I started back there. So I, 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 real, I feel really uh, fortunate that I could test it in an environment like you're mentioning with a little less pressure than uh, we're in right now. Yeah, definitely. That's the other thing I wanted to say just on your story there is that Obviously, you said that call came out of the blue. It came came out of nowhere. But it also comes from what you've previously done, isn't it? Like, you've basically done a lot of work before that, whether that is just spreading your name and your work or doing these extra things that you've picked up along the way. It might not seem at the time that they're being effective or that they're putting anything towards future roles, but it obviously did, didn't it? So I think that's something important for the listeners to take away is that if you're in that sort of same sort of position, put yourself out there, put yourself in those positions because you never know what's going to come around the corner. No, no, yeah, just trust the process and uh, try to be really deliberate in the steps you're willing to take um, and just just keep on going. Like I, like I said, I just didn't want to have a gap in my resume, so... Uh, try to fill it up with uh, as much experience as you can. Um, can also be, well, just go, you, you travel and you visit other clubs and practitioners, meet people, network. Um, yeah. Take, Rene, take us to that point where you sit down in that interview with Eric Ten Hag in the stadium, in the boardroom, obviously completely out of the comfort zone in that environment. In terms of your mindset, I think it'd be great for practitioners to hear this because they're going to end up in interviews, hopefully, in similar sort of environments where your palms are sweaty, you, you're losing a little bit of composure. But how did you go about that interview process in that in that environment then? What was your approach? I, I had a first interview already. Um, so that eased my mind of a little bit. Uh, but yeah, obviously, I, I didn't know what was coming. And uh, it was also our current sporting director who was also in. Um, so again, I was I was overwhelmed, and I actually um, still remember one of the questions they asked. 
let's imagine you're in a gym session you have 25 professional players in how are you going to manage that and how are you maybe trying to make it a little bit more easy for you so i had it really planned out well i want to make small groups based on the test we do and and uh positional groups and stuff like that and then they just looked at me for a moment and, and let me rush and then they just started laughing and said okay 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 good perfect answer uh but why not use one of the senior players uh and use them as leaders in small groups and it will make your life much more easy and that's actually still a lesson which i use today so they really helped me feel feel comfortable and yeah how would i do it differently to I'm just someone who's tried to be as prepared as possible, but I think in, in some occasions you just you just can't and just just let it go and, and trust on the things you did, like we just said. But I think on that as well, the fact that you've put yourself out there with this is the approach that I would take, and then they've essentially given you feedback on their experiences, that's how you grow as a practitioner, isn't it? We like to think yeah. that we've got all the answers, but we don't, and we, we're constantly learning, and they've probably seen that in that, oh, he's taking on recommendations, and that's probably a skill that they see. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. now that you say it that way, you put it that way. Um, yeah, I feel really fortunate that they just gave a young, enthusiastic practitioner the, the chance to, to join their club and, and help them to get the players fit and ready. Brilliant, brilliant. I want to go into the current role now and the and the players and the sort of setup that you've got at the club. Obviously, like we said, expanding on what Baz talked about in, in his in his episode, building a performance culture. So building this culture around performance, high performance. How do, how have you gone about that? What was it like when you first stepped into the club six years ago? Am I right in saying that? Yeah, yeah. I'm currently um, in the season. So six years ago, what was it like then? And what have you put in place that is working day to day now? Yeah, there was already a, uh, a lot in place, but it was, uh, yeah, a little bit more. I, I don't want to be, um, how do you say that? I don't want to be negative about the time back then, but it was a little bit more maybe in, in silos. So working not really together, but uh, apart from each other. So the first thing was that we tried to... Um, yeah, merge and fusion all of the departments which cover uh, high performance. So that's that's medical, sports science, S and C, the mental part, but also nutrition. So we tried to merge that into a single department, and we really uh, focus on and trying to be player centered. So the person before the athlete, and the athlete before uh, the player, in 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 that order. And then in order to align what the the club had as its goals. Uh, they also had goals for us, and that was at first to, well, the amount of injuries to let them drop. Um, so the only availability is uh, so the only ability is availability. That was basically the 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 objective we got. And up until now, the first season we had almost twenty two hundred days lost due to injury. Up until us, whereas now uh, we have a little less than seven hundred. So that that's a uh, quite a big decrease. Um, and just to take you through the the, the process we were at, um, at first, we uh, started with a GPS monitoring strategy. So the first team and the under-23s, they took on the same system. Um, started off with that for, I think, a season and a half. And after that, we also enrolled the academy teams with the same equipment. 
So we had a continuous workflow of uh, data coming in and, and well, just basically see where our players at. Um, same goes for the load monitoring. The load monitoring strategy we had in place for the first team was uh, rolled down to the academy teams up, up until the, the U16s. And I think one of the biggest compliments so far uh, during that period was that with the AMS system we had, uh, we had the highest compliance in, in well-being data for multiple years. So again, we wanted to be player-centered. So we're really keen on having the players giving feedback to us on how they feel and is, is the load we impose them to, uh, does that go in the optimal direction or is it too much? After that, we um, focused on daily movement preps, but also a strength philosophy in place. So um, what we did with that, we, we tried to make use of, we call it like the snowball effect. So we just picked and choose some of the stakeholders and, and, and the, the players within the squad. Um, and we just tried to work with them one-on-one -on -one and that the other players saw like, hey, uh, they're getting extra attention. I want that too. And they're they're developing. I want that too. So that in the end, that group that it did grow over time. Um, whereas the, the full team was uh, doing daily movement preps and uh, at multiple gym sessions a week, focusing either on maximum strength or speed power. Um, I think that was up until two or three years in the role. And back then we... Uh, well, we felt the urge to increase staff to player ratio in order to to build relationships with your players you should also spend time with them so we just wanted to to decrease that uh, that ratio and then we think we believe that those relationships should be built on trust it's not about making friends but you should have trust coming from both ends and uh, that helped helped us again to create buy-in for the things we did like again, like the, the the daily preps or or the the gym sessions, and then from there on, uh, we on the pitch we remained on working a little bit maybe more from a Dutch point of view that we did the block periodization, but we made a shift to to more tactical periodization with with the head coach that, that we had back then, um, but we all tried to to do that within our eighty twenty percent rule. So we always tell each other that okay, doesn't matter, just you have a head coach, you have 25 players, you give them a pair of balls, a whistle and a pitch to train on. And what do they do? 80% of them, most of the time, remains intact and they will do more or less the same. They will go through a warm-up, uh, passing, kicking, positional play, games, uh, sort of training. But the 20% we got, we really tried to cover that for the full 100%. So that that uh, little part we got into the full process, It's we take it all. And within that within that tactical model, I think we will cover that maybe later on also a little bit, is that we, yeah, we don't we don't see the game as physical, tactical, tactical. It's uh, it's also mental. All those four components, we we try to train them, uh, integrated, like like they occur during a game. Um, so that was that was a, a big change for us. And then most recently, and this is where you had to talk with Boss about, we made more of a shift towards the 1% philosophy. So again, remember the beginning, the, the objective we got from the club, like uh, let our players be more available so that the coaches have something to choose on. And there we made the shift more to like boost performance. So not only decrease injuries, 
but it's it's elite sports. It's sometimes you're on the limit. Sometimes uh, you're a little bit over it. But we definitely want don't want to be under uh, preparing our players. So mainly today, it's about creating an environment that pushes that growth every day. And um, how we do that is not only focus on the stuff we just talked about, but also try to incorporate new things. So we have um, breathing sessions regularly. So think a little bit outside of the box and see what we can do to uh, let our players become more recovered or activated to go out because we feel that breathing is maybe the sole thing that people can do to influence their autonomic nervous system. So we have weekly uh, yeah, parasympathetic or sympathetic breathing sessions before we go out or when we finish the day. And then maybe last, last, uh, the last thing we, we did up until now is that we updated our strength philosophy. So we came from that max strength, strength, speed, and power. But what we did now is uh, we made force velocity profiles for our players at the first team. And then being really spot on, okay, what does player X need? What does player Y need? And we scraped that down like an onion all the way back to the under-16s. And now we have a strategy which... Yeah, goes through the club and that we really believe in, okay, what does a FC Utrecht player need from a strength perspective to be able to compete at the first team? And now, uh, let's say a new player is coming in. Do we feel that he has the training years under the belt, like our players do? Then he can be part of the sessions as planned, or maybe not, and let him just uh, join the sessions at his own level and maybe in year one or year two. Because ultimately, the difference is made on the pitch. And we well, want to build robust, resilient players. But you also need sometimes the time to do that. So uh, let them perform on the pitch first. And then, again, 80% the same. And then we'll take the 20. Brilliant. That was a superb insight into those six years and beyond. I, it's great to hear about how the integration has worked across those years as well, from being more segregated department to department and how that is now cohesively working from one one department to another, which I know a lot of clubs will now lean towards that way. The one I wanted to ask you about on that, Rainer, is you spoke before about that initial target. It was to bring down the injury rates and obviously you've discussed the success that you've had in that area so far. And I know that's probably going to be something that you continue to work on. Then you said the new target set by the club was to boost performance. What sort of KPIs are they? Is it, tell me if you can't discuss this, by the way, as well. But what sort of KPIs are you referring to in terms of boosting performance? Is that performance on the pitch in terms of results, or does that revert back to anything physical? Both, of course. In the end, it's all about results. Um, and although we use data quite a lot, and I use data quite a lot, I, I think you should always be aware of. What you're looking at and and you train the players you're not chasing for numbers but of course we as a performance department as well we want to have the 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 fittest players out there on the pitch um really trying to outplay the the opponent but in the end it's still about having uh the optimal amount of players out there on the pitch so that the coaching staff has has the most to, to choose of but not to say that in the first years we trained less in order to not let the players become injured, but I think in the journey we just discussed, uh, 
We've recently some uploaded some really good content onto our online platform, including our latest webinar from Professor in Strength and Conditioning at Salford University, Professor Paul Comfort. He presented on incorporating weightlifting to enhance sports performance. That webinar is now available to watch on the community, as well as a number of other great content episodes over on the community as well, including webinars and presentations. But some of the biggest value has been in our members' WhatsApp group recently. There's been some brilliant conversations around pool recovery strategies, hamstring return to play protocols, individual programs, and also some job opportunities as well. So if you're not already a community member, the good news is you can get yourself a free month by going to footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab and get yourself signed up there. It'll give you one month free on the community so you can see what it's all about. After that free month, it is only £4.99 per month going forward. And you've got some really exciting content coming up very soon as well that you'll be able to get access to, including presentations from Des Ryan and Shane Murphy from our Dublin networking event. Also, an episode, um, a webinar from Speedworks and the team at Speedworks on speed development as well and some webinars on coach health, career periodization, and some nutrition information as well. So go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, sign yourself up, and get yourself a free month. Here's part two of the podcast with Rainer. Sports science stuff was like, okay, we had a GPS monitoring strategy, but also a load monitoring strategy in place. Uh, on top of that, more SNC kind of stuff like, okay, what kind of periodization model do we use? How do we train our players? Uh, what role does strength play in our full program? Where to put it? Um, and I think all of that together now comes to, yeah, a holistic, uh, sorry for the word, everyone is mentioning it at the moment, but uh, like a holistic interplay of all those parts uh, into a program which is now currently being used at the club. And I, yeah, I do feel that, Although maybe now sometimes a player can't be uh, pushed towards his max on the pitch for whatever reason, we always have other parts to focus on. And and that's also something which is happening, for instance, with players coming back from an injury and rehabilitation, that we always try to uh, prepare the upcoming phase a player goes into by in, in, the, in the phase which he is in right now to prepare him for the upcoming phase. So let's say someone is ab- not able to sprint out on the pitch. He's still doing ESDs or energy systems development on a watt bike, which is off-feed, non-impact, to have that system loaded uh, in those sprint work-to-rest ratios. And then when he's able to go out, we feel that, okay, he's already being the, the engine is already being prepped. Now it's about... Uh, the structural elements also to to become used to that load again. So I think we have yeah uh, a solid program now to yeah always always push our players to the max in, in in various areas. And you just referenced it before around when working with players, you're working with the person first, which I love. How do you go about that? How does that work practically? Is that just having more conversations with players on more of a personal level, or is there any sort of structure that is in place for finding out about all those individual people that you have, that you work with? Yeah, I think uh, it is really worthwhile to show that you you just care about them as a person and not just as a player. So sometimes just just uh, check in on them, how, how things are going at home. Or it even starts when a player comes in in the morning. 
Um, we have uh, our, our kit managers, for instance, are the first people they see. So they should start off with bringing the right energy, uh, some good music, but also have eye contact with each other. And let's say someone every day has eye contact with you when, when he says hello. And for whatever reason, he, he doesn't do that on a single day. That That should mark you as a red flag like hey what's going on and then yeah. just maybe ask him just not not to uh, do it a little bit low-key not not too yeah how do you say that uh don't don't force them up until something to say something because it might just be nothing but yeah just just look them in the eye care about them as a person um, and i think that's imperative in building yeah good relationships yeah, it's not putting too much pressure on, I suppose, isn't it? Where yeah. you where you quizzing them on on something, but noticing little things like that is really important, isn't it? And being aware as a practitioner or anyone in that environment that's going to be communicating with players. Yeah, and 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 let them feel that uh, because we ask them to to give feedback with with the well being questionnaires we do on a daily basis. Just let them feel that we take it serious. We 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 do take a look at that on a daily basis and. Um, again, what we discussed in the beginning, maybe uh, we have a training day scheduled out on, on paper, which might seem perfect, but something might be going on in, in a person's uh, personal life. And yeah, okay, we might have a double session schedule, with, which is a heavy pitch session topped up with a gym session, but maybe uh, he needs an extra recovery session or uh, we can help him in some other way with, with a, yeah just giving players the opportunity maybe to ha to have an extra power nap because they have a small children at home. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that they can't do nothing. Uh, that's what we discussed just before. There's always something you can do, but you just need to see what's best for that specific player at that specific moment, because ultimately it's about game day. And that, that is where we want to be as fit and ready as possible. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's talk about this gap or bridging the gap between um, football performance, um, sorry, football and performance even. So in, in terms of how tactical periodization comes into play, you, you sort of referenced it before, the change from more of a block model into more tactical and, and we've discussed on how that works, integrating different um, areas, different teams. But can you expand on that? How, how do you go about bridging that gap? Yeah, it started off uh, getting a new head coach uh, keen on on uh, getting that philosophy in, in place. So for me as a practitioner, it was just a, a fantastic opportunity to expand my knowledge on that. So I had multiple conversations with him, uh, sat down, uh, wanted to know what the game model was, uh, what, what principles he wanted to train and how he saw that throughout a training week, but even a full season. And there we just sat down and, and spoke about, okay, how then in, in our way of working, because ultimately you need to get your players, get used to it. Uh, you can't just, new new coach, a new coach always brings new uh, injuries. At least the, the risk of injury might temporarily increase. But we just sat down, okay, if you want to train uh, that specific principle, that, that maybe uh, is, is really good to couple with uh, this amount of physical work. So where do we put our uh, small-sided games, for instance? Do we want to do that on minus minus two, minus three? Um, and that was just uh, not to say that it was... Uh, how, how do you say that? Sorry, I, I just can't get, get the right word. We just didn't try it and see if it worked. But, uh, of course, it was deliberately thought 
through and used of the 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 the, the book that I, I read the book and see where to put the specific physiological stimulus according to the the coach's game model yeah brilliant and I, I know you have touched on that a little bit already in terms of how that actually practically works and the different staff members that are involved in that as well and um, in terms of the program going forward like the future of the program and with these goals in mind as well of boosting performance what are the next steps you think for the program well, currently we we are doing a research project, and we started off last season with that, uh, covering maximum intensity periods. So it's not not just about hitting the numbers and and the volume, but for a long time we've been taking a look at okay, what is a player doing uh, in a game, and then we just sum up uh, giving a total distance and a high speed running distance. But that doesn't mean you're really prepared for the most demanding passage of uh, of the game. So what we did, we chose three timeframes to uh, to analyze all of our official games. We we took one, three, and five minute time time windows. Why? Because they were most suitable for us to transfer back to the training pitch because most of our uh, drills are being done more or less in that time frame. And what we saw there was that uh, whereas the the time frame increases. Your values, uh, your values drop. So, for instance, for total distance, for one minute, your meters per minute are higher than it's for five minutes, for obvious reasons because fatigue's kicking in, but also how the game evolves during that during that time period. But just to maybe explain in sh short what the big difference is, uh, I think a lot of performance analysis in the in the past has been done with predefined blocks, meaning we just say, okay, this is where the game starts, this is where the fifteen minute mark is, and within that period, we just see what what has happened and then we do uh, the same for 16 to 30 onwards to uh, towards the end of the game but that might underestimate the true value of the intensity of the game so now luckily enough we have a software in place that uh, we use stat sports for that which can um, move along in time just one data point at a time and really take out the most minute from from a game and that really helps us to well, prepare our players for the worst. And what we saw is that we have uh, clear differ differences in, in, in the playing positions. So for our team, it was the wingers who had the highest values on total distance and high-speed running, for instance, whereas the center backs were the positions with the lowest values for them. So that means that there's no one-size-fits-all. You can't train a center, center defender same as, as a winger because we want to impose them with the loads they're actually needed to perform with uh, on the pitch in a game. And then secondly, what, which was also interestingly, one of the main results was that where do those moments occur in a game? Is that uh, in the beginning or in the latter stages? And for total distance, we saw that it was more or less always in the first 15 minutes. So there's still little fatigue kicking in. Uh, there might be uh, a tactical strategy in place. From, from the coach uh, or a, a specific strategy also from the opponent. Whereas for high-speed running, we saw that they were more evenly distributed throughout the full game. And we we said about that, and okay, how how is that possible? Why, why does that happen? And we thought that we know from, from research that sprinting actions, high-speed actions, they mainly occur during the decisive moments in a game. So goal-scoring situations, for instance, or preventing the, the opponent team from scoring a goal. So the decrease in total distance might be a strategy for players that they 
spare themselves to still be able to put the intensity efforts in during the latter part uh, parts of the game. Is that do I do I maybe say that correct? Or yeah, 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 yeah. I understand. Yeah. So that means in a training we should not do the high speed running always at the beginning, but also in a more fatigued state, both mentally and physically, still being able to push yourself and, and, and do the work to help the team. And that's, that's mainly what we took out of it. So how to push forward. That was, I think the question, uh, we just tried to expand our knowledge and, and really dig into that more, more deep. So, uh, what we're currently doing is see if our game, uh, formats we use so small, medium and large sided games. If we hit those targets, we really wanted uh, want the players to cover during uh, training to prepare them for the game. I think that's that's where we uh, it will be more individual, even even uh, not not just position specific, but on the individual level. So, what does that player need on that given day? Because he has a different age, so we we know that he uh, recovers a little bit less from an imposed load like this. So maybe. We need to shift it to a different day because, for instance, on minus three is the day in the model we have at the moment that we try to cover the much high speed distance uh, throughout the week. But maybe for, for a specific player that is best done a day before that. So I do think that we will uh, move in that direction a little bit more. That's really interesting. Really, really interesting. It'd be great to see how that expands as well. You've obviously touched on it a little bit, but when you're looking at those intricacies and differences from player to player, whether that is differences in position or type of player, or I suppose there's so many factors that go into those differences as well. You've mentioned there about maybe putting those distances and in on different days, but how does that actually inform each individual session as well? Like in terms of each individual drill, does that mean that, that the distances are tweaked for players in each drill on each day as well could be yeah um because we have we have daily um sessions with with the former staff and then again with the coaching staff to see what the player availability is and that might mean yeah on a, on a certain day that a certain drill isn't uh well suited for for a player um, but in the end, at the moment where we are right now, it, it covers the, the, the full training and also the full training week. So we know what, what the players need to do in a game. We know what they what KPIs to hit on, on that specific day and what percentage of game load we want to hit. And then, yeah, it's not that a drill gives the same output for every position because sometimes a player has been put out on his position um so already you know that that they have more or less than other positions so that might mean yes sometimes we need to have some some top-ups uh after the training to really hit what we need to um the only thing is that if that happens with uh, a large amount of players or, or too often then it's something for us as a coaching staff to be looking that okay we want to hit certain numbers Sorry to say so, because I, in the beginning I said chase don't chase numbers, but we want to train the players in a specific way, but they're just not able to to reach that. So then that's on ours and not on them, probably. And with this sense. in mind, yeah, yeah, it does. With this in mind and everything you're collecting, does it make it a lot, I was going to say easy, but I don't mean easy, I, I give more clarity 
on how you're preparing players, whether you go back to academy or players that are maybe just sitting outside of that starting eleven, how they need to be prepared to step into a role. So, for example, if it's a, a wide player, a winger that you just mentioned about worst-case scenario, demands are pretty high and the highest in, in your team. So when you're looking at a player that is maybe sitting as, as the second-choice player in that position, does that give a little bit more clarity to you on, right, this is what this is how what they need to be prepared for? Yeah, sure thing. Um, as much as possible, though, we try to compare apples to apples. So we have uh, benchmarks for each individual player. But it, of course, it can happen, let's say, uh, in a transfer window, a player joins and you don't have that much information uh, readily available for him, then a player at, at the same position can provide context for him. Like, okay, this is what your position looks like from a physical perspective in, in our game model. So this is the way we're going to help you train for that, to be ready. Um to be robust, resilient enough to to play that position week after week or multiple games a week. And I think those individual goals really help to create buy-in from the players that they feel that they train at, at a way that it's important to them and not just, again, like a one-size-fits-all. Yeah, it cycles back to what you were discussing before, doesn't it, on, on treat and taking that person before anything else and that individual approach to each player, it just gives you more data and more reason um, to give that individual approach, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Rainer, is there anything else you want to touch on in terms of that integration and, and the periodization model? Is there anything that we missed out? No, I don't think so. I just felt I was a little bit in search of um, my answer in the, in the first part of the tactical model um but I'm, I'm just let that up to you as well if, if that comes out fluently and is well understandable yes or no yeah yeah no i i got exactly what you what you meant so yeah no that's brilliant because what i can we'll... go into real sorry in real detail on that but i think that's not what we try to aim for today but yeah i mean it's something we can dive into um we can either do that now or we can we can save it for a future podcast that that'll be great because i know there's probably we're probably really scraping the surface on the detail that you could actually go into. Um, so that is up to you. If you if you wanted to add to it now, if there's anything. Yeah, I think maybe, maybe it's, uh, it's it's one thing. The the biggest difference to where we came from in more of that, like I was mentioning, the Dutch traditional model is um, the block model has certain um, goals you hit for week after week. So Let's say, for instance, in week one, uh, we aim for more large-sided games, which is more the endurance-type uh, training drills, large-sided games. Whereas then in week two, you, you travel towards medium-sized. So it's in between volume and intensity. And then the last week is covers more the small-sided uh, games on, on, on the conditional, the loading days. Um, and then after that, you have like a taper week or neutral week to have the players become fresh again, and then the cycle starts again. So it's like a four-week model we used back then. Whereas now in uh, the tactical model, we try to hit every game model within the week and spread them out evenly. So in the in the approach to a game, we might start uh, from a day off with medium-sized, then travel towards large-sided, and also take some small-sided games. So in order for our players to get uh, used to that, the biggest Example maybe is that in week one of preseason, we started off doing small-sided games, which they weren't used to at all. 
but at a really low volume. But that that gave us the opportunity to train at well maybe above game intensity from scratch. And that yeah, we really needed some time. So maybe that's something we could dive into. That that's I think the biggest difference between the two. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. Obviously, it challenges the norm there as well, doesn't it? Like it challenges what players know and what a lot of coaches in terms of the approach that the coach will take as well. Yeah, and and for us as practitioners, it's I think it's good that within the tactical model that you really have something uh to talk about with the coaching staff, uh, which yeah, to find each other and, and really work together because maybe back in the days it was mainly like okay this is like the conditional loading day that is for the fitness coach and then when we when we travel towards the upcoming game that is where the technical uh tactical stuff happens but the game of football is is chaotic in its nature itself so you can't train it separately because at all times you will be doing the the all of the aspects it's always technical. It's always tactical, always physical, always mental. So in order to have tactical is just the highest order. And in that holistic interplay, we just try to have all the other aspects in. And that is the biggest difference from the way we're working right now to back then. And just the other thing to add on to that, you mentioned before about the high speed running and, and with the studies, the, the research you're carrying out, moving that to where players aren't necessarily as fresh in training sessions. So how does that look? So if you've got this, this approach where you're doing your your, your small-sided games, your medium-sized games, large side, would that just be literally just a pace of picking up that high-speed running and moving it to what, like, later on in the training session? Yeah, could be. Or um, be creative and uh, try to let the drill itself implicitly... Uh, target to some specific load so what we really did a lot is that we changed uh, the playing field to maybe a little bit irregular shapes but that forced the players to have certain running patterns or uh, passes to make and then again it's 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 about that uh, holistic interplay that okay this is what the coach wants from a tactical perspective and for us as practitioners we just give them context and help them okay how to design the pitch because if you want to have uh, high speed running for instance we rather have a more longer maybe narrow pitch to have deep runs whereas if you want to have more xls cells and explosive distance then we might need to widen the pitch up but shorten it so it's yeah. it's about short and sharp actions every time which just re repeat every well uh, every time love that love that that's brilliant really that's been a great insight thank you for going into that detail on that and i know there's probably still more that we could cover but we will move it on to the quick five questions that we wrap up each podcast with and yeah. the, fir the first of which is who have been some of the biggest influences on your career so far um well, good question um I, I i would say as a practitioner it's uh it's my current manager it's uh it's jeroen peters i think it's the one boss also mentioned he uh really taught me how to move in the world of high performance and um I've, I've learned valuable lessons from him maybe one which pops up right now is that sometimes you might lose a battle tactically in order to win strategically in the long term so uh -huh. uh, choose your battles wisely and then yeah then again um yeah the, the people who gave me the opportunity to come into this role so our current sporting director and uh 
Er, yeah, Eric Tanag, sorry to, to name to name him again, but they just uh, provided me with the chance to be to where I am now. So I'm really grateful for that. Brilliant. What would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner, as a coach? I think I'm I'm a well-rounded generalist. So uh, in order to be successful at, at, at this time in, in, in high performance, you need to be able to cover a, a wide aspect of uh, of skills. Um, and on top of that, I, I think I have good interpersonal skills. So uh, I have the ability to build relationships with, with almost everyone, uh, players and staff. Um, and I think that that actually helps because that that's what gets me out of bed every morning. I just want to help people uh, pursuing their goals. And if, if it's then coupled to 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 uh yeah where we started like the physical part then then i have a good day <laughs> no so really yeah the, the generalist role um relationship build with people and i always strive to learn i see myself as a lifelong student of the game super talking of that if you were to speak with Rainer when he was first going through qualifications at university and give yourself back then some career advice, what would it be? Enjoy the process a bit more. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Because, um, well, going back, my, my first official games were European qualifiers. And I think they were great, but I actually just can't remember because I was super <laughs> overwhelmed with everything and have the organization in place and do as best as I could. Of course, I, I do remember some stuff, but... Uh, sometimes I think we forget to just enjoy the process and see where you are at right now. Um, yeah, we're just too focused on pursuing. You have you have something, uh, you have a goal you reached and then already a new one is in place and then already a new one is in place. So enjoy the process a bit more, for sure. I can sort of hear everyone like nodding along and in agreement with that because I'm sure there's plenty of people that have been <laughs> in a similar situation where they've had an amazing experience and not really taking it in as, as probably they would. But it's one of those things, isn't it? I suppose where you get caught up, you're in the moment, you're in the zone, um, in your position, and it's it's easily done, I'm sure. So um, but I can hear a lot of people going to relate to that one. The final one, Rainer, in terms of CPD, continued development as a coach, how do you go about that? How are you continuously developing well, obviously, I, I read a lot and I, I look a lot to other coaches and practitioners. So I feel that you can learn from, from everyone. But on top of that, um, we have an internal CPD strategy in place, like a plan uh, that everyone can, on a on a seasonal basis, can do. Uh, you can attend, let's say, uh, a conference or you can take a course or something like that. So, for instance, at the moment, I'm finishing my uh oscar certification for the level one but last season i did um i broadened my knowledge and i i did two courses on how to test and treat muscles and fascia so more of like the uh the physiotherapist skills uh yeah but just, just to broaden my vision and so once a season of one season i tried to deepen my knowledge and the other one i always try to broaden my knowledge so maybe that's that's a good one just Maybe do something out of your comfort zone and not really specific to your role, but do something else. And I think you can outstand others maybe to, yeah, have, have certain skills that others maybe don't. But just to 
um, top up on the on the rest of your team, not not per se on just on a private and uh, on a personal level. And within the club, uh, we have monthly high performance sessions. So we we uh, we have evening sessions in which all of the performance stuff from the club comes in, and then we just share knowledge and lessons learned and. It, it it tickles your mind that okay young practitioners joining the club just let them know what we've been through and uh, explain the things you've learned and then again it's another thing to uh, understand something but it's a really different thing to uh, educate the same thing yeah brilliant no it's great to hear and any Practitioners, not young or old, working over there, sound like they've got in a great position, surrounded by good people as well. So keep up the great work. There's obviously some brilliant work being done over there. Um, it's great to get more of an insight and expand on, on the episode with Bass as well. So thank you very much for coming on, Reina. Yeah, thank you. I hope it was the 99% you were looking for. <laughs> oh, it was over. It was over. Um, Reina, just wrap us up with if people have got questions, if they want to reach out to you about anything that we've spoke about, where would you direct them? Uh, LinkedIn, for sure. Professionally, uh, I'm, I'm most active on uh, on LinkedIn. So uh, feel free to uh, drop me a message and uh, I will try to, uh, to answer them all. Amazing. Thank you very much for your time, Reina. Thank you, Ben. Thank you to Rainer for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate his time. And like I said, it was great to catch up just a few weeks after speaking to Baz at the club as well. Um, some great stuff being done by the coaches over there, by the looks of it. So big thank you to him for freeing up some time. I think one of the initial things I took away was um, when he spoke about dropping into amateur football. He wanted to know how players react to him. That was the phrase that he used. And I think that's really important for coaches to take away. Don't be afraid of doing that if you're in between roles. Keep picking up experience. I think every little helps and different environments are creating different skill sets all the time. I think something maybe seems quite small but I think is very big is the fact that he talks about having eye contact with people and players and building that trust. I think that's really important and probably some of these skills as well that were... Um, natural for people a number of different uh, of years ago coming quite unnatural now for a lot of people so shaking hands eye contact these sorts of things with with people it's it's much more professional and it's something that we need to learn to do and get back to as well and then he also mentioned about being a well-rounded generalist and that was some from some of the experiences that he picked up over the years obviously there's a lot of discussions around generalists versus specialists and a lot of the people I've spoken to recently in all these different roles definitely are required uh, a, a number of different skill sets so that the generalist approach is definitely beneficial in, in the roles that we've spoken to recently. That's not to say that there aren't specialist roles out there because there definitely are. But just in terms of the people that we've spoken to recently, if they're, they're the similar sorts of roles that you want to end up in, um, picking up different experiences in different environments is definitely going to be key. So I hope you enjoyed the episode with Rainer. Again, give us a review. That honestly helps the podcast more than you know over on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. I really appreciate it. Please give it a share as well. We've had some really good shares recently from the episode with Tony and some of the other podcasts as well. I really appreciate that. 
And make sure to go and support our sponsors as well, even if it is literally going giving them a follow. Good Prep, Rezzle and Hytro. Check them all out, doing some brilliant work. And we'll be back next week in episode 233.